<laughs> Wonderful. Okay, let's do that. And then we'll trust God to come and, and um, minister in our midst. Okay. Now, you're ready for God's Word this, this afternoon? Okay, if you are, I'm going to pick up where Pastor Arthur left off last week. And I'm going to invite you to a rather difficult passage. It's one of the most challenging ones I have to deal with when I come to the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to invite you now to go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 reading from verse 26. You know, one of the things about expository preaching is this. As we seek to cover the entire book, uh, one thing we, we all have to do is we cannot avoid the difficult verses. You know? And so there are always difficult verses that we need to grab our heads around and all that. And this is one of those. And uh, in a few moments, you'll understand why. So we go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'll read for you from verse 26 onwards. Listen to what the wise men say. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, says the teacher, this is what I've discovered. Adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things, while I was still searching but not finding, I found one upright man amongst a thousand, but not one upright woman amongst them all. So now you understand my predicament. It's a very difficult uh, passage. And before everybody gets angry, I will explain later on why. Okay. The on this only have I found, the wise man said, God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. And then he moved on now to chapter 8. Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes his heart appearance. Obey the king's command, I said, because he took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, but the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighted down by misery." Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in times of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun, that there is a time, okay, um, there is a time when a man lost it over others in his, to his own hurt. This too, I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive a praise in a city where they did this. This too is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better for those who fear God, who are reverent before Him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, for their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth, the righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I said, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. And then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night. And then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. 
Despite all their effort to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. Lord, as we come to this passage in the wise man's reflection, I pray that God, you will bring enlightenment. You bring understanding so that that which is, seems so mysterious to us, you will unfold it to our heart. Lord, we know your Holy Spirit can come and bring revelation so that we can all walk away from this place transformed by your word and your spirit. So may you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your word with clarity and authority. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now this morning, I'm coming to a passage that I want to tread carefully uh, because the wise man seems to say some not very flattering things about women, uh, which is actually not very wise, right? And Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 28 has this one line that I find I need to explain. I found one upright man amongst a thousand, but not one upright woman amongst them. That statement is almost suicidal, you know. <laughs> so pray for me as I take you to this rather risky portion of Ecclesiastes. Now, this morning, we are coming to the wise man's reflection on how wisdom can actually guide our relationships. Okay, how does wisdom actually guide our relationship? And he particularly wanted to focus on two aspects. One is man's relationship with men or with women, and men's relationship with women, men's relationship with men, or in other words, between men. And secondly, it's a relationship with authority. So our relationship with one another, and then our relationship with authority. How should we let wisdom guide us in these two things? And so we're going to look at them one at a time. The first is the relationship between men and woman, or mankind, okay? So you find this in Luke, verses 26 all the way to 28. Now he begins in verse 26 with this statement. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. So what Solomon is dealing with here, he's actually talking about immoral woman. An immoral woman who uses his sexual powers, if you like, to entrap men and then to lead men down a wrong path. Now, I think Solomon would understand this very well. The reason being that he himself has been enticed and led astray many a times, right, in his own experience by women. If you look at his own personal track record, for example, 1 Kings chapter 11, you see a track record of his life, uh, his experience with women. Look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1 to 4. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. I mean, his taste is wide, you know. And they, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. But nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. And he ended up with 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And then his wife led him astray. And as Solomon grew old, his wife turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father has been. As Arthur told us last week, right, human wisdom has his, has, has his limitation. And because of his weakness for women, Solomon actually ended up with a harem full of 700 wives and 300 concubines. 
Can, in other words, he now has a thousand mother-in-laws and that really is not very wise. <laughs> and, uh, and human wisdom has its limitation. And I know that Solomon did this partly uh, because of political reason. Okay? Because he wanted to ensure peace uh, with the nations surrounding Israel, he does end up marrying some of the daughters of the king so that they can maintain uh, some level of, of peace for Israel. But at the same time, the Bible tells us his heart went after them. He held on to them in love, which, which means that he actually liked it. He actually enjoyed it. And when you are rich and you're surrounded by so many wives, how many of you agree life can be complicated? And for his, he was literally saying life is complicated. And his trust for women can literally be eroded. You know, and that's why Solomon ended up saying, and, and, and what's the reason why Solomon end up like that? It's because of verse 4 it, of 1 Kings 11. It tells us it's because his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Okay, and, and then the wise men tell us this. Are now in reflection as he goes, comes to his old age, as he reflects on all this, he says only those who fear God can escape her trap. See, and in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 26, he then says, the man who pleases God can escape this trap of lust, but the sinner she will ensnare. See, and Solomon concluded therefore in verse 28, with all this uh, background experience, he concluded in verse 28, I found one upright man amongst a thousand, but not one upright woman amongst them. But before we get into a gender war, can, I'd like you to notice the perspective. Okay, just keep the perspective. Now, firstly, the gap between men and women in Solomon's mind is very, very small. Okay? Uh, the gap between men and women in, it, in, what he, in the statement he made is only 0.1%. Have you got that? Out of a thousand, you can find maybe one righteous man. And maybe he's talking about himself. You know, but out of a thousand women, and that I think is linked to the fact that he got a thousand wives. Out of a thousand women, he said, I cannot find even one. Okay, but the gap between men and women, very narrow, 0.01% only. Keep that in perspective. And the second thing is, even with men, his perspective on men is really bad. 99.9% cannot be trusted. 99.9% cannot be trusted. So basically, what is he saying? He's basically saying that mankind cannot be trusted. You can't place your hope on human relationship. And, and he ended up, therefore, with this conclusion in verse 29. This only I have found. So this was his final conclusion. This only I found. God made man upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. Okay, and that word, upright, God has made man upright. The word upright in the Hebrew is yasha, or means righteous or straight. God made man straight. But what happened to man? Man has gone in search of many schemes. That word scheme in the Hebrew is the word fabricate or to invent. That means what? Actually, God made man straight, but man end up making himself crooked. See, why? Because of the fallen nature of man. See, God's intent was for mankind to walk in His righteousness. But because of man's fallenness, we actually resulted in us not only sinning, but we invent new ways of doing it. And up till now, people are still doing that. And only the fear of God can keep us from sin. And only the wisdom of God can help us to see this. 
And the wise man is saying, in my experience relating to people, he come to this conclusion, God made man upright. God's intent is for us to, be, to walk in righteousness, but we end up in search of many schemes. We make ourselves crooked because of the fallen nature of man. And then he takes that relationship now and he applies it to man's relationship to authority, which is where it gets really tested, you know. And so he now applies it to authority in chapter 8. Now, listen to this. Solomon, as he moves on to, ex to, ex to examine the relationship between man and authority, he begins by saying this, Who is like a wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its heart appearance. See, when it comes to relating to authority, now Solomon tells us, give us a few tips on how to relate to authority by using wisdom to guide us. The first is this. When we relate to authority, he says, number one, walk in wisdom. Walk with wisdom. Verse one begins by saying this. Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes his heart appearance. See, the wise men already know that man cannot be trusted, right? He already said that in chapter 7. And man can act in unrighteous ways. He understands that. But in the light of this, how should we respond to authority then? His response is this. It is not to get angry and end up with a hard appearance. How many of you know when you're angry, your face looks hard? Am I right? When you're angry, your face looks hard, you know. Right now, my face is soft because <laughs> I'm not angry, okay? I'm actually very pleased to be with you. But if you're angry, moment people get angry, you can see the hardness on their face. And that's why he's talking about the appearance of a hard appearance, you see. And, but the answer really is this. When you see things happening, it's already we, we know that in human relationship, men cannot be trusted. But when it comes to authority, it's even worse. And then when we see leaders, authority, actually letting us down, we can all get angry. And when we get angry, we all end up with hard appearances. And his challenge to us is this, that don't end up there. Be careful of this, that do not end up with a hard appearance, but instead walk in wisdom. And this is particularly relevant today as we live in a social media world, right? How many of you know that we get most of our information about the world and everything else from this device here? Is that correct? Most of us don't even read newspapers these days. We, we get all of our news from here. And with a device like this and with the internet space that we are in, a lot of things are curated for us, right? Everything is curated for us. So if I happen to be one of those that like to be, if I want to lean a little bit to the right, then I tend, all I need to do is, you know, I click something about the, the view, the right view, uh, the, the views, to, uh, the, uh, the, how do I say this? <laughs> the people who are leaning to the right and the left when it comes to politics, if I go there and search for something that is more on the right view, that's what will come up. And then after that, they, the algorithm will keep sending to you all the stuff on the right. So what happened to you? You end up, getting entrenched in a particular view. If you are leaning to the left, you just search left, they keep sending you stuff, you end up entrenched in the left view. And then what happens to society? We all get polarized. Now we all get angry with each other. And before you know it, people will just be at loggerheads with one another. The same applies. 
You know, if I'm more inclined theologically to, to, to the reform view, I will search, what does the reformer say about this? Do, 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 all the things will come out. And then they will keep telling you. They'll keep sending to you. Every time you open up uh, a question, they send you that view. Now, if you're more Pentecostal charismatic, you get another view. And then they keep loading you with that. Before you know it, we all get entrenched. Everything gets polarized. And then we get angry with each other. And what is it for? The wise man said, no, 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 no. I think we learn to walk in wisdom because wisdom then enables us to balance the demands of situation. Wisdom helps us to see the broader perspective. Wisdom helps us to really guard our hearts against rebelling, against proper authorities that God has set over us. Are you with me? And we need to learn to do that. How often we see people become skeptical, they become critical, they become rebellious, they become angry with one another and then we end up destroying ourselves. And the wise men exhort us, don't fall into this trap. It is not wise. So number one is this, we learn to walk with perspective. We learn to walk with wisdom so that we can see the broader picture. And for that reason, I still challenge all of us, still maintain the habit of reading. You know, read books. So you get different kinds of books and we get a good in-depth understanding of situation and, 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 and views about different things. And snippets like this off the internet can really mess us up you know, in, in terms of our understanding of things. So walk with wisdom. And as a result of that, then number two can happen. Then we can walk in biblical submission. We can learn to walk in submission. You look at verse two now. And then he says, obey the king's command and within this context, of the, their time. It was all about kings, okay? I mean, for us, it, it, it's a different context, but they, at that time, it's all about kings. Obey the king's command, Solomon said, because you took an oath before God. Another big key to relating to authority is to practice biblical submission. And true biblical submission is, does not mean that you must become a yes man, that you've got no backbone, you've got no conviction, you have no opinion of your own. It's not about that. It's not just saying yes sir, yes sir all the time. It's not that. But it's learning to express our opinion, learning to express our viewpoint, our convictions, but ultimately still allowing leaders to lead. It is learning not to usurp the authority or to rebel against proper authorities in our life. Now, one of the things that I, I often teach our leadership team and, and we try to operate like this is to feel free to express our disagreement, feel free to express our opinion. Because what is the point of having you on a leadership if you cannot have an opinion? If you cannot speak into a situation, then what's the point of having you there? You know, then, then it's pointless. But I want people who, who can express their views and uh, help me to, to sharpen my thinking. But the only thing I ask for is every time you bring up a disagreement, at the same time, guard your attitude, guard the posture of your heart. I think it's important we share what we think and our opinion and viewpoints, but every time you do it, watch the posture of our heart. And it's not because you need to protect my ego or to protect the ego of your leader, to stroke his ego. It's not that. It's because it's good for your own soul. That every time I need to bring up a disagreement, and, and or differing opinion, I need to be able to bring it up. But I watch my posture because a good thing that is brought up in the wrong spirit will not be good for your own soul. 
It's about curating our own soul. Does that make sense? See, because the truth is this, that at the end of the day, uh, our attitude, once it's wrong, you know, once our attitude is wrong, even if we are right in our principle, we will be wrong in our posture. It's the same with children and parents. Can I bring up a, if, if my mom and dad wants me to do something that I cannot agree to, does that mean, therefore, that I cannot say anything? No, I think it's okay to be able to tell mom and dad what you think. But watch the posture of your heart because you can be right in your decision and be totally wrong in your disposition. You can be right with your principles and be totally wrong in your posture. And how many of you know right principles get lost in wrong posture? Once your posture is wrong, even though the, your idea is so good, it's lost because of the spirit of things. See, and it always comes down at the end of the day, it's much deeper than just about submission. It is about the attitude of humility. It's an attitude of, um, of a pride that, is, that rules inside sometimes. Because when we refuse to submit to proper authorities because their opinion differs from ours, we are also saying at the same time, I know best. My opinions are always right. Therefore, I will rise and challenge everything. Then I think we have our posture is, is, is destroyed. Are you with me? And the wise men actually challenge us that if we, one way, one of the keys to relating to authority, we walk in biblical submission. And I, I want you to know uh, that I am so glad to be working with a bunch of leaders, a bunch of pastors and staff members that are absolutely got their postures right. You know? And I'm very grateful for the last 10 years leading this church, I'm working with a bunch of leaders that really are not yes men. They always tell me what they think and they help me to sharpen my ideas. But at the same time, their posture of heart is always so good. And that really helps, gives me that freedom to lead and at the same time to lead with greater wisdom because of their input. And I just want to take a moment to honour all my ELT members, uh, the executive leadership team and to all my staff team. I think they're an amazing bunch of people. I'm grateful to all the leaders that we have in the church. I think all of you have just got that beautiful posture that brings delight to the heart of God. So as members, why don't we just give them a good hand and be thankful. I'm really, really thankful for every one of our leaders and it's just just amazing and that really helps us uh, in our as, as we bring the church into whatever God wants us to go so number one and he's when it comes to relating to authority he says walk in wisdom number two walk in submission and here's the third thing to walk with discernment to walk with discernment if you look at verse three to seven uh, three to six now in chapter eight he goes on to say this do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a man's misery weighs heavily on him. Now, when we submit, how many of you know it's an inside job? It's actually an inside job. Our submission then manifests itself on the outside through our response to leadership. And what the wise man is saying is that in the end, the leader will have to be accountable to God for his leadership and all of us 
will have to be accountable to God as to how we respond to leadership. That's the bottom line. As a leader, I have to be accountable to God as to how I lead. As a follower, you have to be responsible to God as to how you respond to leadership. It's also true that one must not be too fast and too in a hurry to run away from authorities that we disagree with. Don't be caught up with a gossip trap, you know, or to end up standing up for a bad cause or to join in an evil matter because this is dishonouring to God. But recognise that God may have a purpose for putting us there. And for that reason, you know, I see Christians sometimes, we, chop, we, we kind of church hop so much. Why? Because the moment the leadership decides on something that you don't like or you don't agree, then you are gone. You know, and people also leave their jobs so quickly. They, we job hop also so much. Why? Because the boss said something or the colleague did something that you don't agree to. Next thing you know, I resign, I quit. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, you cannot change job or cannot change church. No, I'm not saying that. But I do believe that God sometimes allows us to work with people who wrap us up the wrong way. You know why? Because in the process of that, we are being transformed. Is that true? That because I work with people that don't always see eye to eye with me, I am in the process also being transformed. And God is not just interested in our competence at the end of the day. He is interested in our character. And through all this stuff that happens, God is crafting us, making us the person that He wants to be. And Solomon says, have the wisdom, therefore, to do what is right, and then wait for God to work things out. There is a proper time and process for everything. And the man who relates well to authority is the one who has the wisdom to know that there is a proper time, there is a proper procedure. That God sometimes allows us to go through a period where He weighs heavily on us. That's okay, because in that process, while we are waiting, we are trusting God to sort things out. There is a proper time, proper procedure. And don't be too fast. Don't be too fast to say, I'm gone. I quit. But rather than to react to everything that we see that we don't like, we learn to have the discernment, you know, to do things in its proper time and in the proper way. And I think this is what it's all about. And you know what? Uh, what I've discovered about submission and learning to wait for God is this, you know, the real test of submission is when we have to submit to something we don't like. How many of you agree? If it's something that I like, it's something that I already agree to, then you don't need submission. The discipline of submission is really tested, you know, when we have to submit to something we don't like. And that is true in the setting of a family, it's true in the setting of a work, it's true in a church, it's true everywhere. The real test of submission is when we have to submit to something we don't like. And then we learn to say, I trust God to work things out. There is a proper time, there's a proper procedure, and I must learn to wait and trust God to work all things out. And what's the basis for this? I think the basis of the ability to wait and to hang on it is rooted in the posture of doing what is right, and then trusting God to work things out in His time. So you look at verse 7 and 8 now. That gives us that anchor, that theological anchor here. It, it says this, Since no one knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? 
No one has power over the wind to contain it. No one has power over the day of his death. No one is discharged in times of war. So wickedness will not release those who practice it. Now here the wise man brings up three impossibilities. He said, no one can stop the wind. The wind blows where it wills. Um, no one can stop death. That's true. And no one can stop enlistment in a time of war. Now in the same way, he says, the wicked cannot stop the retribution that is coming to them. So what is he saying? What he's saying is this, you know, that, that what, that's the perspective we need to have, that there are some things that are beyond our control. We must have the wisdom to wait. We must have the wisdom to entrust it to God, that God will work things out in His time. There's a proper time, there's a proper pro uh, procedure. Okay, and one thing, he, he knows is that in the end, the wicked cannot stop the retribution that is coming to them. And that's the perspective the wise must live with, that in the end, good will win over evil. In the end, light will triumph over darkness. In the end, we leave the results in, in the hands of God. We must learn to have that posture. Are you hearing this? And he gives you perspective. What is our part then? Our part is simply to walk in wisdom, walk in submission, and to walk with discernment. And the wise man was able to give us these insights, you know, when it comes to relating to authority. But at the end of the day, as I read what he writes, I sense also, I can discern that he's still unsure about authority. Okay, but why? Because he saw that there are leaders who are wicked, but they seem to get away with their wickedness, and when they die, they are still being praised in the very city where they carry out their wickedness. And I've seen that in, in real life, right? We've seen countries ruled by dictators and all that that oppress the people. But when they die, everybody still sing their praise. <laughs> and, and the wise man says, this is meaningless in frustration. He said, this is meaningless. That's true. So you look at verse 9. He says, all this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun, there is a time when a man lords over others to his own hurt. Then too, I saw the wicked buried and those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did it. And this too is meaningless. So he ended up with two big uncertainties that I hope to reverse for you uh, this morning. And the two big uncertainties was this. Number one, he ended up being unsure of human justice. Why? Because... Man cannot be trusted. He, he cannot. You know, he became unsure of human justice in verse 9 and 10. He observed that power can be unequally distributed. There are people who lord it over others to their own harm because power can corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. He noticed that public opinion is so fleeting and what, how the public feels towards authority can also change overnight especially when you think about all the fake news that can go on in today's social media world. Now, even the biggest tyrant also have their followers that will sing their praises. You know? And that's true. And Solomon said, I, I can't really trust in human justice and authority because we cannot trust in public opinion. And that's true. The second thing he's unsure of is divine justice. He says, even divine justice, I have my question. What, where's, their, where's his question? The reason why Solomon ended up is this. 
because he observed that crime is not quickly punished and wrongdoers get away unpunished with evil. And people will tend towards evil since it's not punished immediately. Look at verse 11. He says, When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with a scheme to do wrong. You know what he's trying to say? He's saying, can you imagine if sin is punished quickly? If crime can be punished quickly, what would the result be? He thinks that people will stop sinning. Uh, for example, uh, the moment you tell a lie, psst, you die. You drop dead. You know, the moment you, you steal something, the moment you take something belonging to your office, take it home to you, psst, you die. You know, wow, people will stop stealing. People will stop lying, right? The moment you have a wrong thought, the moment you think something bad about Pastor Dan Yen, you know, this fellow, you die. You, know, you collapse, you die. You know, the moment you start thinking of my parents, my parents, you die. You know, can you imagine that? Then what will happen? Wow, nobody would have to do anything wrong. So the wise man said, if only, you know, if only people get punished quickly, then perhaps they will stop going after all these schemes. The moment you cheat in your parking coupon, never put in the coin, psst, you die. Can you imagine that? And in verse 14, he goes on to say this, this is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. And he says, this too is meaningless. He says, God, I'm not so sure even about divine justice because you don't carry out judgment quickly. Now he knows in the end, God will work all things out. But in the meantime, if only you can act faster, wow, people will wise up. And that's what, just thinking. And so you look on verse 15 all the way to 17. You know what his conclusion was? That's why I've entitled my message as this, what can we be sure of? Because by the time we reach verse 17, he reached the lowest point of his reflection. He is now not sure about people, especially women. He's not sure about people in authority. He's not sure about human justice. He's not quite sure about divine justice. He's not sure about anything. So in the end, as a wise man, what can he tell us? All he can say is verse 15. So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat, drink, and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. Yes, under the sun, there will be a perspective. In other words, all he can really wanted us to know is we may not understand everything, but let's live life with joy and trust God to work things out in His time. In the meantime, he says, walk in wisdom, in submission, in discernment. These things will help you so that you, you don't have to carry a hard appearance. And Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 12, he's, he's, as he has always said, it, is, it will go better for those who fear God, who are reverent, before him. So those, that was his conclusion at the end of the day. The one good advice he can give to us is, you know, while you are going through all this, trust God to work things out in his time. In the meantime, walk in wisdom, walk in discernment, walk in submission. That's what he can tell us. Now, here's how I like us to think about this. There are two ways in which we can approach this passage. One is to approach it personally. The other is to approach it theologically. Now, personally, 
we can learn from Solomon's personal struggle. I'm sure many of us identify with what he's saying when it comes to human relationship, when it comes to authority. We all go through that. Now, one way, one thing we can do is to learn from his advice and learn from what he's sharing with us to relate to people, to learn how to relate to authority. But theologically, I think this passage really speaks to us about the way that we are to relate to God, our King, our divine authority. And praise God, now that we are living in the New Testament, we have the missing piece, you know, in the jigsaw of life, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. We can now have a new perspective that is above the sun, that is beyond this life. There is no security in things earthly, including relationships and authority and all that, but we can now have security in Jesus Christ. Solomon told us that he could not trust 100% of women and 99.9% of men, right? He said, out of a thousand, I don't even find one trustworthy woman and I only found one. Maybe he's referring to himself. But you know what Jesus tell us? Jesus actually said to us, he could not trust all men. For the Lord, he says 100% he will not entrust himself to them. How do I know this? It's because what Jesus said in John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. And let me take you there for just a moment. In John chapter 2, Jesus has started his ministry. And because of the signs, wonders, miracles, and stuff that were happening, people begin to surround him. People wanted to make him king. They even wanted to, they, 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 they throw themselves at him. And they wanted him to be their leader, their king, and all of that. But when Jesus saw all these things, the popularity and all that that he was actually getting from all of them, his response is this. Listen to John 2, verse 24 and 25. Listen to this. He says, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men, and he did not need man's testimony about men, for he knew what was in a man. Now, what is he saying? What Jesus is saying is this. He knows the heart of man. He knows the fallen nature of man. And he knows that man cannot be trusted. Not at all. Our opinions can change. You know, and he knows that man cannot be trusted. But have you ever noticed this? That even though he knows that man's heart is fallen, man cannot be trusted, but yet in his relationship with people, you look at the Gospels. Throughout the gospel, you don't see Jesus having all kinds of suspicion. You don't see him putting up all kinds of barriers when he relates to people, right? You don't see him becoming, developing all kinds of complexes. Now, now you have inferiority complex, superiority complex, all kinds of complexes. He doesn't have that. In his relationship with people, in fact, he was so open, he was so authentic, he became so approachable. He related to women, some of them very complicated women, including Mary, Mary Magdalene, for example, so complicated. But there was no barrier between Jesus and even with the immoral woman. No barrier with that. He related to his people. To, he related to men. No issues, right? He was so authentic, so approachable. Even children would trust him. Why? But yet at the same time, he tells us he does not entrust himself to anybody. Why? Because he knows what is in the heart of man. He knows that man cannot be trusted. Why is it that he's still able to relate? to all people with so, such great openness. I'll tell you why. It's because while God, while Jesus cannot trust man, He trusts in His Father. He trusted in a God who watches over Him. 
And he know that God would not allow anything to happen to him that God does, is not aware of, the Father is not aware of. And because he is able to trust God and find his security in God, he finds his security in human relationship. Not because man is trustworthy, but it's because he knows God is watching over him. Are you with me here? I may not be able to trust you, but I trust the Jesus that is in you. I trust God who watches over me. And He will not allow me to go through anything that He is not aware of. And therein is where we find our security. Therein is where we find our certainty. It is not in us. It is in Him. And Jesus came. He knew who His master was. He knew who, what His mission was. And he set his face like a flint to fulfill what God called him to do. He knew the Father called him to go to the cross. And he set his face like a flint to Jerusalem. It took him three and a half years to get to the cross. And there on the cross, he fulfilled the Father's will. And I tell you this, friends, when he was on the cross, he was not a victim. He was a victor. In fact, he said to Pilate, right? No one can take my life except that I lay it down. And when you look at Jesus, we know what we should do with our relationship. You know, because we begin to understand the workings of God. That even though Jesus, no man cannot be trusted, he trusted God. And through that, we become open, transparent. We're not afraid. Nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. Because God is watching over me. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, when now I understand, you know, but because Jesus knows the end from the beginning. And then why does God not punish the wicked immediately? Now I, I know why. Because he's got every he's got it. He's he's in control of everything. He knows what is ahead. See, do you realize that if God really were to punish sin immediately, what will happen? Every time you think something wrong about, about Pastor saying, yeah, psst, something will happen to you, die. You know, if you really want God to, to punish sin immediately, I'll tell you what will happen. Within three days, there'll be nobody left in the church. Everybody will be, everybody will, will be gone, isn't it? But God knows, right? Jesus knows that there will come a day. And I'll say this to you, brothers and sisters. You hear me? There will come a day when the accounts will be settled. There will come a day when the books will be closed. There will come a day, a day of reckoning. And that's the, that's the perspective we have. And because we know in the end, right, God will take care of everything. He will work everything out. The righteous will get what they deserve. The wicked will get what they deserve. You know, there's this, there's this book, Robinson Crusoe, where there's a, a story about a guy who was shipwrecked on a, uh, on a deserted island. There's nobody there, except he found one guy. It's, it's, it's a man called, uh, that he found on a Friday, so he called him Man Friday, okay? Who was actually like a slave, you know? And, and they become friends, the two, only the two of them. And there was one poignant moment in that story when Man Friday asked Robinson Crusoe a very poignant question. And the question goes like this. He says, can you tell me why doesn't God destroy the devil? That's a good question. Why doesn't God destroy the devil? And Robinson Crusoe gave what I consider to be the right answer. In fact, it's the only answer. 
what Robinson Crusoe said to Man Friday was this. Why doesn't God destroy the devil? He said, all he said was, God will destroy the devil. And I think that's the only answer that we can give. It's the right answer because the truth is this, God will destroy the devil. There will be a day when accounts will be settled. There will be a day when everything has to be reckoned. And because we know this is the long-term perspective, because of this, I am sure of divine justice because there is a day of reckoning. I am sure of the future because I know I'm secure in Christ. I am sure of authority because I know God is sovereign and He's in control. I am sure of my relationship with you, with, with people around me. You know why? Because God is watching over me. I may not be able to trust everybody that comes, but I trust God and He is watching over us. In life, there'll be many things that we are unsure of. Why this happened? What is that about? When did it happen? How is it going to happen? I, there are many things about the why, the what, the when, the how that I'm unsure of. But one thing I'm sure of is who I believe in. I believe in a God who is for me and not against me. So we sing this old hymn, you know. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand But I know who holds tomorrow And I know who holds my hand It's not, it is the who And because I believe in this God I'm secure in Him I become sure of many, many things So put your hands in the hand of the one you can be sure of Our Lord Jesus Christ And once we are sure of our relationship with God, then we can be sure of our relationship with men. Amen. Therein, we find our certainty. He will not entrust himself to all men, but yet such openness because he trusts in God, his Father. It's the same for all of us. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Please take a moment, wherever you are, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a few moments and allow me to pray with you. Would you just let these things that is spoken, I've said a lot of things, but let it sink in for a while. This morning before I close, I just want to invite you that if you are someone here and you are as the words go forth and you know that you have been let down, perhaps in the human relationship, we all go through stuff that where relationships are, people can let us down. We can be, you may feel betrayed, you may feel let down, you may feel like disappointed, but I want you to know this morning that we can trust in God more than anybody, more than anything. There's some of us here, we may go through issues of authority. People who have authority over you, but they have really disappointed you or they have hurt you. I want you to know that we need not stick on, we need not hang on to those things, but we can release them. And we can say, God, I want to learn to trust in you. Because yes, man cannot be trusted. 
but yet we can be open. We can be transparent. We can be accountable. Why? Because we trust in God who watches over us. And this morning before I close, if this is something that you do struggle with, people have let you down, authorities have hurt you, I'm going to ask you to take a moment. Would you just lift these things before the Lord and allow Him to minister to your heart today? That we can walk away from this place without a heart appearance, but we learn to walk in wisdom and trust God's timing, trust God's processes and procedure. There is a proper time and a proper procedure. And we say, God, I surrender these things to you. I don't have to hold on to these things. So if this is something you need to do, I'm going to invite you wherever you are. Would you just lift your heart to the Lord? Just lift up your hands before God as a mark of surrender and allow me to pray. If you have, have been hurt, you know, you're still holding this pain inside of your heart, why don't you release it to the Lord? People have let you down. Authorities have not done right by you, would you just lift it to God and just release it? That's right. Anyone else who need to do that, I'm going to invite you, just lift your hand to the Lord as a mark of surrender and allow me to pray before we close today. If you're online, wherever you're watching, you can do the same. And let God minister to your heart this afternoon. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, you see the hands are lifted before you. I ask you now in the name of Jesus that you come, bring that revelation to our spirit so that we can walk away this morning without a heart appearance. But we will come before you to say, God, we surrender these things that has happened so that we can set your people free. So that you will once again be able to walk in God's wisdom, to walk in, in biblical submission and you can begin to walk with discernment and let God direct your path. Thank you, Lord. Father, just do that. So wherever you are, if there's something you're going through, would you just, in your own words, talk to God and release these things to, the, to Him. Just release those pain, release those hurt, release those sense of disappointment and being let down or betrayal. Submit it to God and say, God, I, will, I trust in you. More than anything, I trust in you. Well, that's right. Wherever you are, just do that. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you come and you bring healing, that you bring a sense of freedom and liberty to your people. God, that we can begin to walk in the liberty and freedom of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, you see the hearts that are open before you. I speak that freedom to them in the name of Jesus. I speak that healing, remove that pain, remove that scar and heal in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In a few moments, I'm going to speak a benediction over you, but if this morning you have that, you're doing business with God and you need God to just really come and set you free. Right after my prayer, I'm going to open this place for you to come and, and, and there will be pastors and leaders that will be here and we'll be waiting to just minister to you. If you really need that prayer, then you can come and just allow us to minister to you. But would you now receive this from the Lord? Father, I bring up every one of my brothers and sisters that are doing that transaction with you this morning. 
would you come and set your people free so that you make us a church full of people that are liberated in you so that we can all be able to fulfill the things that you want us to do. And I ask you now in the name of Jesus to do that for everyone in Jesus' name. So now, may the love of the Father, peace of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit go with us. Amen.